Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you. In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book character created by Michael Bond. Oh, I love those films so much. Hugh Grant is perfect. For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate acapella competitions. It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college acapella. Sing it, brother. I lived college acapella. <laughs> I didn't mean literally. <laughs> You know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels, Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse, and the two Breaking Dawn parts. Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it. <laughs> that too. Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first film. We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels. Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series. Love these. Extended editions all the way, baby. Plus, all the Mission Impossible films based on the 1960s TV series. And we've still got at least one more to go. Members got to hear us chat about The Hustler and The Color of Money, adapted from Walter Tevis's books. Get all of these books and more at our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The raid is over. Pulling the trigger is like ordering takeout. Okay, so we're talking about the raid, Andy. The raid redemption. What version did you watch? Both versions uh, are out. I had the option of getting either theatrical or unrated from the uh, iTunes store, and I chose unrated this time. I didn't have it in my collection, and I really enjoy this movie, so I pulled the trigger on that. I mean, I just I got the Blu-ray from Netflix, and honestly, I don't know if it said on it what it was. Let's see the versions. Oh, there's a this is the scene in the beginning when he's doing all the headshots. That is, there is a a single cut there that is very, very uh, grotesque that they keep in. The close-up of the bloody headshot the third victim received is missing. (laughs) Is it possible there are only two differences? (laughs) Yeah, it looks like it. There's a 2.88 second difference and a 7.36. So it's a knife in the neck and the shot to the head. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not going to tell you, Andy, that those two cuts dramatically changed the movie. But I'd like to. I won't, but I'd like to. But I would be lying <laughs> if I did that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting. The Blu-ray that looks like it was released, it, it says unrated edition on it. So I'm assuming that is the version that I watched. So I probably saw the, the, extra, the extra 10 seconds. So yeah. you saw the goo on the brain and you saw the seven seconds. Okay, good. Well, then we're on the same page. What did you think? We're we're doing the raid because we're doing franchises, continuing our march through franchise land um, here on the next reel for this year, this season. And the raid is next. And you might also call this the fourth movie in the Before trilogy. Before the raid, Andy. Before the raid. Can you imagine if Jesse and Celine were on the 30th floor? That would have been awesome. So the raid, what's interesting is that this film... Uh, had to have its name changed when it was released here in the U.S. It, it's called The Raid. If you translate the uh, the Indonesian title, which is um, uh, Serbuan Muat, I think, it translates to The Deadly Raid, basically. I don't know why it... Uh, there must be another film na- named The Raid somewhat recently because Sony Pictures Classics, when they uh, were distributing it, they couldn't secure the rights to the title The Raid. And so they had to add redemption to it, which is a strange addition that they had to do. But it's it's only specifically for the U.S. release because of that very reason. That's weird. 2012, there was another film called The Raid. And there's a 1954 film, The Raid. There's The Great Raid from 2005. I don't know why, like 2003, Raid. I don't know why they would have had such a difficulty in securing the title. Anyway, going off on a tangent. So what you, what'd you think of that? How many have you, you've seen this before? What was your, what was your initial take on it this time around? I have seen this before. I I think this is film that I ended up watching after I saw Dread because of the comparisons to Dread. And so I was curious about it. And so I checked it out because I'd heard such good things about it. And then 
I ended up uh, buying the sequel without having seen it just because I loved this one so much. So yeah, it's a film that I, I really enjoy. I think the action sequences are, are a thrill to watch. And it's, I mean, it's an interesting film because while it certainly received a lot of praise for its action and everything, there were a number of critics who felt, uh, you know, it's, it, there isn't a lot to it. I mean, Ebert is one of them. I mean, he gave it one out of four and he said that it lacked character depth. And he said, uh, quote, the Welsh director, Gareth Evans knows there's a fanboy audience for his formula in which special effects amp up the mayhem in senseless carnage. And so, yeah, I think there was certainly that perspective on this film, but I, I don't know. I, I feel uh, I kind of hate that Ebert, throws the word fanboy into that but uh because i feel like there is while the story isn't completely overflowing with a lot of complexity i find that it is an incredibly gratifying film in the way it's crafted and there are enough layers to some of the things going on in the story that it does you know make for surprises and a lot of interest and intrigue so yeah i, I have a just fantastic time with this one just at, before we get into the conversation writ large, what do, what, do you, what have you seen of Gareth uh, Evans' work? I have not seen the first film that he did with uh, Iko Uwes, uh, who he did uh, this that one was with. Marantau. Uh, yeah. Marantau. I haven't seen that one. It's something that I, I feel like I want to put on my list. I'm just very curious about it. And then I think he's done something else after the raid two, uh, but I I don't know what it is. I, I apostle apostle. Okay, yeah. So, mm -hmm. and he did action sequences. He directed the ac action sequences in Gangs of London. But I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, that's a TV show. Oh, it looks like it's a TV show. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right. You wouldn't you wouldn't have ever heard of that. And it looks like uh, he has a new Netflix movie coming out with Tom Hardy called Havoc. Uh, that uh, was slated for this year, but is now moved to 2023. So, yeah, he's got a couple of things in pre-production, and Deathstroke is uh, is rumored. Is it the? Is, are they giving him the? Yeah, the DC comic character. That'd be interesting. So, uh, I'm less than that. I've seen this, and then I should stop talking because I haven't seen VHS two, the segment he did there. I haven't even seen the Raid two, but I own it because of this conversation, and I really, really like this movie. Oh, I did see his segment in VHS too. I forgot that he did that one. That was a fantastic segment, wasn't it? Yeah, loved it, and the best, the best segment of that film. Oh, good. Well, I should watch that then. So anyway, I haven't seen anything else besides this movie. Wow. Okay. So uh, eager to hear how we get through it yes indeed indeed well this film when it was released here in the states was rated r for strong brutal bloody violence throughout and a little bit of language all right andy here we are here we are time for the raid we're on we're on the first floor of the raid set up the conceit on the surface it's a very simple film it is a SWAT essentially a SWAT team that is going to be raiding this uh building that's probably what like 15 floors something like that and they are breaking into this uh, you know this this building essentially apartments to uh that is being run by a gang leader he kind of runs 
this area and this building he is is full of his all of his different criminals and he rents out rooms to addicts and all this stuff so basically it is a building full of criminals and this SWAT team is coming in to basically try cleaning up the city you don't get a lot of reason as to why but that comes later in the film and so we're following along with a rookie cop named Rama who is thrust into this and uh, they're basically working. It's, it's a squad working their way up this building, trying to get to the top so they can stop this criminal um, overlord who's ruling things. That's the general conceit. It's about as video game um, movie as you could find. Like it's it literally you're just climbing a building and they use the language like there's a big boss and then he has two mini bosses that work for him. And you have to beat all the bosses and all the thugs to get to the big boss. And uh, that's so it's, it is it is pretty straightforward uh, conceit. But this is why I think I think I get so frustrated with Roger Ebert's review, right, that it's it lacks uh, character um, development because I feel like he didn't understand the movie going into it. Right? There is the the thing that works for me about this movie is is not necessarily the character development. Although they, I think they seed a number of interesting emotional beats. The fact that you know um, that our young rookie SWAT team member is is about to become a dad and puts himself in this sort of dangerous situation, raises the stakes. That's interesting to me. Well, um, and there's mystery right at the beginning because he says to his dad something like, I'll bring him back. And I'll so bring it's like, him home. Uh, what does this yeah. mean? Yeah. So, yeah. That's so, yeah, there there is stuff in there. But also it totally disrespects the massive amount of work that goes into the production design and the stunts and the fights and all of that that is just as much craft as character design in some in in some cases like i i think um i i think that's where that's why you watch this movie right you watch this movie for the work that the the physicality of it and it's okay to celebrate a movie for the physicality of it yeah, I, I mean, and, you know, I understand that perspective because there have been so many movies that are just about the physicality and it can become very tedious to watch a film that is basically nothing but uh, fighting or uh, um, in whatever, you know, whether it's just punch, punchy punch or whether it's a different form of martial arts, whatever it is. There are a lot of those sorts of films that don't carry a lot of weight because they you watch them and you're like okay well i mean it 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 was what it was you know it wasn't anything very exciting uh but i got my kicks because of the action and that you know there's there's a lot of that out there what this is doing is it's doing it in a way where it's using a different style of martial arts that we really haven't seen much in cinema before so it feels a little bit different and it the way that it's crafted is like very cinematic and that's that is i think what uh, Evans is really putting into this film is this sense of space and how to use it and the conceit. And yes, while it may seem like very video gamey as far as like, got to get up to the next floor, got to get up to the next floor, beat the boss on this floor, let's get up to the next floor. Like it does feel very much that way. I I feel like I connect with these characters. There's a lot more to them than just a simplistic design of one of those other sorts of action films where you just don't have the emotional heart that this one does. I think that's something. I think there is, I guess the, the question is, is there enough emotional heart? And clearly for, you know, the late Ebert, there was not enough. And for me, there is. Like, I feel like there is no 
obviously there are a lot of mindless fights, like a lot of fights that are just we need to trudge through the grunts. But none of the central fights are pointless. Right. None of the like there is a there's meaning to to all of the other fights that that like the the mad dog fight where where the two brothers are going against the uh, mad dog character who is extraordinary. Um, that this it feels very much to be Yayan Ruhan's um, he's the actor who plays mad dog uh, his movie like he is extraordinary in this thing throughout. I, I love him as a as the boss and that fight means something like that fight is gruesome and brutal and like i feel like there is enough set character setup between these three that it makes the thing matter and uh, uh so i you know is there enough yes there's enough i i felt something yeah and that's i there's the connection obviously you know we start with him and his wife so there's something simple there something with him and his dad there's this instant tension amongst the ranks because the boss is telling everybody we're going to go in and do this. And one of the, the rookies says, why are we the ones who are doing this? And the, the, the boss's right hand starts yelling at him, like, you'll do what you're told, blah, blah, blah. And so you get this, you get this sense of who these characters are. And then you find you meet the lieutenant and he has a different perspective on things. And then we go into the situation where the next person that we really meet um, outside of the building is a tenant. And he's just a normal tenant who happens to unfortunately live in this hellhole. I don't know why he and his sick wife ended up here, but it <laughs> speaks very um you know, uh, frustratingly to the housing market, apparently. Uh, and he just is trying to bring medicine up. And that that creates this tension between our hero and the the a-hole of the uh, of the SWAT team and this guy. And that becomes a key part of the story as we kind of move on. And so, yeah, it's interesting because there are so many things in here that on the surface you could say, yeah, I've also seen the these same beats in some of these really crappy action movies. So I guess the the reason that it ends up working is the way that Evans directs it and the way that he crafted the characters with enough gravitas where I find enough beats within the way that they're performing to connect to them in ways that I don't in some of those other action films. I, I think so, too. Now, speaking of all of that, though, how did you feel about the big reveal, the big twist? About the brother, well, I well knew... not the brother, the lieutenant, like really, or the sorry, oh, was that, it the okay, lo- yeah, the old. There's this old man who's yeah, with Lieutenant Wayu. He's on Wayu. this raid, right? Lieutenant Wayu. He's he's there, and he's leading the SWAT team. And then it is revealed pretty early on. I think probably twenty thirty minutes on that he they're alone in this building. There is no backup. Nobody is coming to save them. They have closed essentially narratively closed off any sense of of rescue. Although. How believable is that? Like, if if you really radioed out to, you know, the police block and said, hey, we're trapped in this apartment building, don't you think they would have come? Somebody would have come? I don't know. Well, yeah, but then it, then they would be answering a lot of questions. And I think, yeah, that's there were no the, questions to be answered. That was the that, that's the thing that he's right. trying to avoid is he doesn't want to have to have a conversation revealing why did you come to this building in the first place without uh letting us know without getting permission to do this, you know, and, and that's the real, uh, the real dilemma. And so 
Yeah, once once that's revealed that they can't call in reinforcements, you start getting a sense, okay, what's up with this lieutenant? What do we not know that um, we're going to find out? And, you know, we certainly do, that he is somehow tied in. He's corrupt, and he's tied in with Tama, who is the the villain. He is the big bad who's running this, this place. And mm-hmm. there's a whole story there. And so that's, uh, I mean, again, it works in context of what Evans is giving us as a sense of this story. Again, it's not overly creative it's nothing new but it just it works and i I just end up buying all of it and it's there's such a fine line between a a crappy action movie that has these same beats and this film and i think it boils down to the way evans crafted it in his writing and directing and the way that he directed and i mean he got these actors the way that he he got all of these different people a lot of whom weren't necessarily you know actors they were more um i think uh, what's the guy who is the the head of the of the group? Jaka. It's Jaka. Yeah, Sergeant Jaka. Uh, he is. He was a judo champion, <laughs> and so you know, you know, these people who aren't necessarily actors, but they come into this feeling like they can carry this thing. And so I really I connect with the characters, and so I think it just boils down to the way Evans puts it together. I think so too, and I, that's why I asked about that twist because that's the other like leg on this duel, right? We have all the action. This like deliriously violent, destructive action. We have the emotional story of what gets our young protagonist in the movie and what he's leaving behind at home, the pregnant wife. Uh, His stakes are obviously very high. And then we have the political story and how and the degree to which you buy the fact that this that, that this lieutenant is is dirty and trying to become a kingpin on his own by you know working with and against this other kingpin who is work who is five steps ahead of him the whole time who said you know you're never going to get out of here you have no vehicle you're you're mine because I've been buying off people that are higher than you you're just an errand boy like when that reveal came by, I feel like, you know, it's not one of those that I a shot that I necessarily would have called. I feel like I was distracted enough by the movie that I didn't I didn't see it coming. But had we stopped and said, what do you think is going to happen next? I might have been able to call it. That didn't end up being a distraction to me. Right. Like it didn't end up taking me out of the film in any way that that was a, a believable like action movie duplicitous authority twist. I, I liked it. I liked the way it was done. I thought performatively it was handled well. Uh, I liked watching that, you know, watching the way they shot the sergeant or the lieutenant dying, uh, I thought was really artfully done. And that goes to a lot of how they handled the the fights and effects in this movie. It's just really beautifully done, as violent as it was. You mean the sergeant dying? The lieutenant, they walk the lieutenant out at the end. Right, right. They walk the sergeant dying. This is going to be very con- The old man. <laughs> the old man in his civvies, the the you know in his in his khakis, um, when he dies, he's he's they they shoot him from the top and he falls, so you just see his feet laying down in the in the corner. I thought that was really great. You're saying the bad guy at the end of the movie in the stairwell. There is Tama. The he's the bad guy. Tama is the bad guy. When the when, when right 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 when Yu shoots Tama is what you're talking about, right? Yes. When Yu right. the lieutenant shoots Tama, the bad guy, the villain. Yes, right. that's the okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. So many names. So well, many you threw me when you said the lieutenant and then the sergeant, and I was like, "Are we talking about jo- who are we talking about here?" Yeah, I'm not. I'm not good at, at people. Well, especially, and I, I, I kept laughing as the names would come up on the subtitles because it's Rama, Tama, Jaka, uh, Andy, you know, Bowo, uh, Budi. Like they're all like Dagu. There are so many four letter names. Yeah. That I'm like, wait, which one's Rama? Which one's Tama? Jaka, <laughs> Iko, Ali, 
Don't forget yeah. Gofar. Why you? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Well, and, and then, you know, adding to the le- the legs on the stool is, of course, the story of the brothers. And that's another thing that I think we've probably seen play out in many, many other films. And, you know, Evans, to that end, is not doing a whole lot of new stuff with the way that he's building his story here. We're getting a story of, oh, one brother's on the good side of the law and the other's on the bad side of the law. I haven't seen that before. And we kind of start getting that the moment that that Andy sees Rama in the in the footage. And Rama, we already know that he's going into this, or we find out he's going into this to look for his brother. He says, when, you know, um, when I saw your picture pop up, I, I can't remember, I, he, you know, he was horrified that his brother was one of the people that they potentially were going to have to take down. And so you get that relationship. And, and I think that that works incredibly well in, in the story just because of the characters and the way that Evans crafts it again. So it just, I, I think it, it's so easy to dismiss this type of film, but I think when you have a person putting it together with such passion for um, the simple moments of the story with all these characters and knows how to craft a film. And that's, I think the thing that makes this, things sing is that i mean just the the action sequences the fluidity of everything and it's it's filmmakers who are trying to um to do things in new and exciting ways and you know we talked about this a little bit before uh the show in our uh pre-show chat that we have for members um if you're interested in hearing more of those you can learn more at the next and um we talked about kind of this nature of the evolution of action and, and a key part of what we're getting here is how they're playing with the camera. And you have a moment where, you know, they're trying to get out of one room. So they, they take an ax to the floor and, and, you know, basically cut a hole into the floor so they can get down into the next room and the camera. Dizzying. Yeah. And the camera is on a, a thing called a fig rig, which Mike Figgis had actually um, invented back when he was uh, in the nineties doing some, I, I don't know. It might've been the one where it's like, uh, a you know real time movie, but it's essentially a small handheld rig that you can very easily maneuver the camera with um, in these sorts of films, uh, these sorts of scenes, and so you have a moment where the the actor drops from one floor to the other, and then the camera drops down with him, and they actually had the DP, uh, you know, they had some people holding him, and he kind of drops down to the point where his waist goes through the hole. And then there's another uh, camera operator on the next floor down standing on a table who grabs the fig rig from him and then moves down into the room to continue the action scene. And that's the sort of just like ingenious way that uh, a director, when they're doing something really interesting or trying to come up with a way to, you know, take things up to the next level, that's the sort of thing you're going to find. And it makes it that much more exciting. Well, it feels super indie, right? Knowing that there were a lot of people who worked on this movie, it's still like watching the behind the scenes stuff, watching them, you know, truss up the DP like you're describing and throw him through the through the the hole in the floor. Uh, it's extraordinary. And uh, that fig rig was a big deal. Like there were no steady cams used on this movie. And yet it it felt like it really walked the line between being, um, you know, shaky handheld and. Um, the Steadicam smooth. Like, I feel like it was still an exuberant camera. Like, it had me in the action, you know, because it's such a small rig and it's, like, disconnected from everything. They could put it wherever they wanted to put it. But um, it, it didn't at all feel to me like it was you know, either too sanitized or 
so jerky. I never, I, I couldn't track the action. I never felt like I lost track of the action. That was incredible. It's exciting, and and that's what works incredibly well when you have the sorts of movements that these these actors do. And obviously, when you're watching a scene like this, it is uh, you can't craft stuff like this without rehearsal because of the choreography that's required for these fight sequences. And I mean, this, this, uh, style of fighting that's called Silat is, um, they said that it's a great style for, um, you know, it changes depending on the size of the space that you're in. And so they were able to use it very effectively in a tight hallway, also in a big room. And, and they were able to find interesting ways to kind of, um, craft it but you have like such movement with the way that the characters are moving and you have like when rama is taking on i i don't know i call him crazy eyes the one who's just got like these really intense frightening killer eyes um with his little group of people you know they're the, he's the one who stabs the machete through the wall a bunch of times as he's trying to find him which which one was crazy was he bow wow or dagu or gofar <laughs> we're gonna not get that right I don't know if it's in the uh, – there's enough in the plot description to see, like, when they're hiding behind the wall. But uh, I don't know. But it's 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 shortly after that when he uh, leaves one of the the injured guy behind with the, the, the tenant who had saved them. Um, he leaves – and he's out on his own. And then he is attacked by the group of assassins led by – I just call them crazy eyes – but you have him and like three or four other people all attacking him and the way that they move, like he attacks one guy and that guy falls to the ground and then he turns and attacks the next guy and it just kind of keeps going and going. And I don't know, I just, I find that that style, um, it, it's obviously there's a lot of camera choreography, there's a lot of um, acting choreography, fight choreography, and uh, I, I just find it incredibly effective the way that uh, that Evans built all of it. Did you happen to track any, like... Uh, long shots in this movie you know i was wondering because in my head i kept thinking that one of these is going to be like a a long tracking shot through a fight and there were some long shots but it wasn't it wasn't so much at least my memory was it wasn't designed like in the second film there's a very uh, prominent one that is uh, fairly well known um in the car chase. Um, I don't well, know. If... That's what I was. That's what I was kind of waiting for, because I've heard of that shot, even though I haven't watched the second movie yet. And I, I and so I watching this movie, especially coming off of a movie like Old Boy, where you have the long hallway shot that is so legendary. Um, I, I, I found myself surprised that they didn't go for something like that in this movie. Like it wasn't a, it, it wasn't some sort of an implied competition between movies like this, that they <laughs> always have to have like a five minute tracking shot. Yeah. I mean, this does have shots that go up to, uh, you know, about a minute and a half is, is about the, the longest that we're getting here. It's nothing too long. Not like that film where we have those much longer shots. So it's interesting that uh, I, I guess the complexity boils down to what are you doing within those 90 seconds? You sure. know, like how complex is it to to drop down from one floor to the other, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that was so good. All right. What's your what's your do you have a favorite fight? Is it easy for you to to like break that down? One of my favorite scenes is is the machete in the wall. I just I find that to be 
just a really like the the tension feels palpable in there while he's stabbing through the wall the knife kind of slices into rama's cheek and then then that guy goes off and starts talking to the the tenant while the knife is still stuck in his cheek and and rama has to very carefully like move his hand up to the blade so as the guy pulls it out he's pinching the blade to pull all of his blood off of it so that the guy doesn't see that it's coming out bloody it's like the 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 way that that plays, I find just just you know intense and incredibly thrilling. So I love that one. I find Mad Dog to be uh, just uh, such an exciting character, and you know he gets two incredible fight scenes. The first one is when he he is pointing the gun at the uh, at the guy. This is the um, what did we decide his name was? Um, Jaka, the sergeant, and then he's he puts the gun away. He says it's you know guns it's not as fun. You know, it's, it's, I mean, you kind of quoted it at the start of the show. There's, there's a lot of, there's very little joy in that. I would rather fight you mano a mano basically. And then they fight and then he kills uh, Jaka. That is uh, exhilarating to watch as, as mad dog, you know, bounces around. I mean, he's just an insane, uh, you know, performer, the way that he, handles his, himself in those scenes. But then you top that with the scene where he is taking on the two brothers, as you already called out. And it's, uh, I mean, that to me is probably the the action sequence of the film, because it's just a thrill watching as it's just going back and forth between one brother and the other. And how is Mad Dog able to you know stay up through the whole thing? But I mean, I guess that's why he's called Mad Dog. Well, and that's how he's set up, right? He's all fists and legs and whatever in the beginning. Like he has these two lieutenants. One of them has has the brains and the other one is all fists and legs. Yeah, which is <laughs> so, funny because he's so small. <laughs> yeah, he's so small. But man, he is. so. That is the thing that strikes me. These guys are exceptionally strong, physically strong. Like, I don't care if we're talking about, you know, putting them on wires that cleaned, that get cleaned. I don't know what, you know, what's going on. But when I was watching the behind the scenes stuff, watching these guys throw each other around unwired on mats, they are very physically strong. This is, it, it actually makes the movie better after watching them practice to realize just how much they're wailing on each other and throwing each other around and, you know, hitting each other with heavyweights and I mean, it was, it's extraordinary. It is extraordinary physical stuff. I just have to say that the guy who I call Crazy Eyes, uh, his name is Alfredus Godfred. And sadly, he's just credited as Machete Gang number one. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's sad. Uh, he needed a name. I, I'm just going to go he with Crazy Eyes. I think that's what we need to All call right. him. Okay. Uh, I feel like we've talked about the script, the direction. Do you notice anything? So this is what I wanted to get to about Gareth Evans. Like, does it does this feel like a Gareth Evans movie? Do you know enough about Gareth Evans to make a comment like that? I don't. I don't. I don't think I I have a background with him. Uh, what I know about Gareth Evans is uh, he's Welsh, and Welsh, yep. his wife is from Indonesia, I believe, um, who is credited as a producer on this. And what he had said is that, you know, he and his wife were living in in Wales and he was struggling trying to make his mark as a filmmaker. And he was he was not finding a lot of stuff. He was struggling trying to crack in. And he um, his wife kind of suggested that he he look at this documentary in Indonesia and maybe direct that. And and I think she got him in touch with them and he ended up 
getting hired to direct this documentary. And it was about this martial arts style called Penchak Silat. And in the process of that, he became really fascinated with what the way that it worked and everything. And that's where he ended up meeting Iko Uwes, who is his lead in this film. And he was like, I mean, he worked as a delivery guy for a phone company and, but he was really good in this martial arts style. And so they ended up becoming friends and ended up working together on this first film. He, he, I mean, Evans became so fascinated with the style that, you know, he did this film Marantau, which is really focused on this style of action for it. And it got enough attention for him to work on this next one. The next one, though, um, this film, he was it was actually a much bigger film and uh, it was too big. And so he couldn't get the budget. So they had to cut it down. And, and he did this film. The, the sequel for this is really kind of that first film that he was wanting to do, the one that's much more uh, large in scope. And so, I, I yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of info about him other than he seemed to really tap into working in the Indonesian uh, film industry, and he really seems to have tapped into um, strong, strong work as an action director. It surprises me after watching this that he he isn't one of those directors that got, like, the biggest of the big tentpole big budget movie project after this like it would it would surprise me if he didn't get offers to do like you know i don't know a marvel movie or a uh star wars movie or something he was star didn't he get star wars uh no um that's a different gareth <laughs> that you might be thinking yeah, gareth uh Ed, whatever the other gareth now I've... well that's what was so confusing because when i started watching this movie i thought oh this is the guy didn't he go on and direct like godzilla or whatever it was like no it's not he's this is the guy who maybe should have right this that that's gareth edwards this is gareth evans it is yeah. very confusing one's from where uh, i think he's i think he's just english gareth edwards and this one's w- from wales so yeah it's it's a very funny the lies there but no this evans though had been offered to direct uh one of the films for justice league dark but he passed on that so um i but and then as you uh, mentioned he did pitch an idea to do Dr- deathstroke and supposedly uh well this has been 5 years ago now I don't know if the film is still being made. He said he's no longer involved in it. So, hmm. so I feel like he's one of those filmmakers who, uh, I don't know, just seems to be struggling to still tap in. I mean, he's still making stuff like we mentioned Apostle and Havoc is coming out. So he's still out there making stuff. And, you know, I, he could be one of those filmmakers like uh, I'm just going to without knowing, I'm just going to say like like Edgar Wright, who maybe ends up butting heads with the powers that be at these big tentpole uh, franchises and um, wants to do his own thing and they want him to do their specific thing. So who knows? Well, I just I'm a fan of pretty much every Gareth that's working right now in film because I also am a big, you know, Rogue One is it was Gareth Edwards and he was the Gareth I thought we were going to be talking about because I'd never seen the raid. But now now I am (laughs) clear and I actually have two Gareth's to love all the more Gareth's to love. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm I am eager to check out this second movie. Um, I've heard so, so much about it. Can't believe I haven't actually sat down to watch it yet. But this is this is great. What what I think is funny is like Iko Uwes, who is the lead here. Yeah. And Yayan Ruhuyan, plus a third guy who you won't we don't see here, but we'll see in the next film. 
um, I think his his name is Sesep Arif Rahman. Those three, you know, because of these films, J.J. Uh, Abrams really enjoyed these films, and he cast them in Star Wars: The Force Awakens. People may recall they're the ones, uh, the kind of the gangsters who are are tracking down Han Solo and Chewbacca, and they have the or they're trying to get the Millennium Falcon. I can't remember, but that's right. It's that that's whole, right. you know, that I don't know. It was a thing that my daughter and I said far too often to each other. Tell that to Conja Club. We said <laughs> yeah, that's that. right. When they're standing <laughs> on that long gangplank, one yep. on either side. Yeah. Yeah. Before they let go of the big tentacle monster. Oh, the tentacle monster. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, I just, I, you know, they are the sorts of actors also that I would love to see popping up in more stuff. Not just um, Gareth Evans, I'd love to have doing more stuff, but I would love to see uh, these actors getting more opportunity in more international cinema. You know, I don't know. I don't, I mean, well, I'm looking right now. It looks like at least Iko Uwes has, I mean, he. I forgot to, uh, I forgot he was in Snake Eyes. I forgot he had popped up in that. Right. So, uh, plus he was in Stuber. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw uh, it. Yeah. That came and went. And he's uh, going to be in The Expendables 4. So he is somebody who has actually uh, found a way um, into much bigger things. Can I can I tell you my biggest problem with this movie? Sure. I have a I do have as much as I love the movie, I do have a problem with it. And you actually already hinted at my problem with this movie. Did I? Because you said they have to go into this building, you know, it's something like 15 floors, right? You remember saying that? Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Right. So, um it the the boss, I think in the movie they actually say he's on the 16th floor. The 15th. Right, which and that's that's what I remember from the script. But the poster, but which I saw before I started watching the movie, says one ruthless crime lord, 20 elite cops, 30 floors of chaos. So the entire <laughs> time I'm watching this movie, I'm finding myself incredibly frustrated that they don't get any higher than the 16th floor. They spend a lot of time around five, six, seven, and there's a lot of climbing, but nobody ever gets to the 30th floor. But then you go to the poster, Andy, and you count the floors. You know how many floors there are? 20. You don't even need to count. I already did. There's only 20 floors on the poster. So whoever wrote the tagline for the poster didn't even count the forcocked floors on the poster of the building that's on the poster. I have a real problem with building floor continuity. Apparently so. My goodness. I want you tell me there's 30 floors of chaos. I want to see all 30 of those floors. Well, this is uh, apparently Maybe they're counting up all the floors of that are represented in the movie. Like, okay. <laughs> like <laughs> their house is on the second there's two more floors. Yeah. All right. Well, that was frustrating for me. Apparently you spend too much time dwelling on the little details on the poster and let you're, that you're you. one to talk. Dwelling on little details, sir. <laughs> you are one to talk. <laughs> okay, that's all I got. Well, I just I was talking about actors who popped up in in English films or other films, and the, and Yayan has also. Uh, we'll be talking about it, but he does appear in John Wick Chapter Three: Perilled Bellum. So. Oh, outstanding! So we will get to see more of Yayan in. Oh, good! Later He's so films. good. Oh, so good. What did you think of the villain, uh, Ray Sahatepi, as Tama? Did you like did you like the way that he was designed as a villain, like walking around in his, in his tank top and flip-flops? You know, he was fine. I Honestly, I guess I like the way they bring us into the movie. We talked to, uh, in the beginning about the difference between the director's cut. That's, that opening shot is one of the shots that is, um, you know, 
in the unedited cut gives you two more seconds of brain. And so he shoots everybody. Uh, they're all lined up. He shoots them all execution style, except the one guy that he puts the gun on his shoulder and says, hold this for me, where he goes to get more bullets, but actually finds a hammer. And that tells us an awful lot about his character, that he comes back not with bullets, but with a hammer and, and kills the guy with a hammer. It, it, super violent, gives us a real sense of, of why he's the crime lord. Totally get it. He wasn't really, for me, where the story was. Like, I I suppose the parallel would be I was as interested in Hans Gruber as I was in, uh, you know, in uh, Bruce Willis's uh, character. And so I was interested in both sides of that story. In this one, I was so much more interested in the police and their work toward getting to the, the other smaller bosses. I didn't. I didn't find myself really longing for the the Thomas side of the story. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't bad. It just I, I felt like it was, you know, it was more of a figurehead of an of a you know aspirational kind of ending to reach him. But I didn't find myself really thinking a lot about it. I don't know enough about the actor uh, Ray Sahatepi who plays him, except that he has been acting in Indonesian cinema since 1981, so is very prominent in Indonesian cinema. And so I wonder, for an Indonesian audience coming into this, like, seeing him playing this character, like, I wonder if that, like, it has to bring a lot more to it, you know, than what we're getting as seeing it for the first time. I really enjoy those little moments that we get with him uh, toward the beginning, um, you know, he's got a lot of uh, great lines like or just scenes like I love when he hops onto the loudspeaker and tells everybody, hey, guys, <laughs> there are these cops in the building. If you want to help me take them out, you can stay here rent free, basically. You know, like there are moments with him that I really enjoy. One of my favorites is when he reveals to uh, to Andy that he knows that he is working with the cops. Basically, he saved that cop and pulled him into the other room. There is that um, that moment that we have there where, you know, he stabs his knife uh, through Andy's hand and and uh, basically reveals, you know, his paranoia pays off. I really, really enjoy the way that scene plays. I, I get your perspective on it, and I think that's why likely his two underlings I find more interesting because they have there's a little more going on with both of them. And he's basically just sitting here. We do get the stuff at the end. But in context of what we get with him, I still find him to be quite compelling. I do like the scene you you mentioned, one of those scenes where he is talking to Andy and Mad Dog are standing with him. And Mad Dog has just dragged that <laughs> the cop, <laughs> the dead cop on the elevator and up into his office, which I thought was a great scene. But then he does that really menacing um, interrogation and ask Andy to show him his hands. You've, you've brought me nothing. I thought that was a really that that's a great scene. So when I was spending time with him, uh, I, I thought I think he's great. When he wasn't on screen, I wasn't thinking, let's get back to Tama. I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, I, whereas, you know, I, I really loved the bouncing back and forth. There are so many other of these kinds of action movies where I love the bouncing back and forth between the, the protagonist and our villain. And um, this one, I, I found myself just thinking, let's get let's see some more of marching up the building, all 16, 20 or 30 floors of it. However many it is, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it is a fun one. So uh, let's uh, keep this train moving, though. So we will be right back. But first, our credits.
Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Mike Kieran, Oriole Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and the numbers at v-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. All right, Andy, how to do an award season. You know, for uh, a action film like this, it did well for itself. It had nine wins with 22 other nominations at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. It won the Midnight Madness People Choice Award. And at the Dublin International Film Festival, it won Best Film and an Audience Award. Imagine Film Festival it won the Silver Scream Award. Uh, you know, it had a lot of these great wins. Over at the... Um, Maya Awards. This was an interesting one that I had found. The Maya Awards actually was a brand new award that had just been created this year in Indonesia. It's an Indonesian film award uh, created by Indonesian online film enthusiasts who are active on Twitter. <laughs> so I don't know what to make of this. Uh, they follow the concept of similar awards with nominations and awards given to the, each year's best local productions. So the fact that there is this group of Twitter film enthusiasts who started up their own awards in 2012. It looks like COVID may have ended it, but they were doing well up to that particular point. Uh, this film did well at those awards. It ended up getting 10 awards. It had the most awards at the Maya Awards that year. It won Best Editing. It ended up losing Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Design, Best Poster Design, Best Special Effects, uh, Supporting Actor, uh, Tama, uh, Ray Sahatepi was nominated, Best Feature Film, uh, Best Director, Makeup and Hairstyling. So, uh, but, you know, for what it is, for a, a Twitter Film Enthusiast Award, yeah, it got something. Interestingly, at South by Southwest, it was nominated for the Audience Award, and I guess this just speaks to the variety of films that end up in some of these categories. It lost to the documentary Chasing Ice. Thought that was interesting. Chasing Ice did. Have we talked about that ever? That sounds familiar. Why? Have I, why does that sound so familiar? Documentary. Climate change documentary. I'm sure. Right. It is a climate change documentary. You're correct. Unfortunately, it did not receive any nominations at the Citra Awards, which is actually the Indonesian equivalent to the Academy Awards. No. Well, actually, that's probably not a surprise. I don't know if I if I looked at the films that won in 2012. I don't know if I would know any of them. Any of them, right. Yeah. All right. How about the box office? Well, Evan's action extravaganza cost $1.1 million to make, which is $1.25 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered at TIFF September 8, 2011, before release in Indonesia and other uh, Asian Pacific countries March 23, 2012, as well as over here in the States, where it opened in limited release opposite The Hunger Games. It did well for itself despite a limited ad campaign, but it did grow to 881 screens and became 11th at the box office in its fourth week. All in all, it ended up earning just under $4.7 million domestically and $5.9 million internationally for a total gross of about $10.6 million in today's dollars. On top of that, it was a big success on home video. In fact, it became the UK's overall best-selling foreign film of 2013 on home video. So it did well. 
That puts the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $92,000. Enough to greenlight the sequel. That's crazy. It's crazy that it did. I can't actually, I really can't believe it didn't make more money. I mean, it's profitable. It's, let's celebrate. Wahoo. But the fact that it only cost a million bucks to make and it didn't make more than $10 million, the level of quality of this action movie is stunning to me. Is that not surprising? You don't seem surprised. You know, it it also boils down to the ad budget that these distributors are going to have to put into it. And Sony Pictures Classics generally doesn't have huge budgets to market their their uh, releases. A lot of it is the word of mouth and getting it in front of critics and stuff like that. And, you know, when Ebert throws one of his reviews <laughs> like he did, it does make it harder for audiences to um, to want to jump on board. Well, he was wrong. One of those things. All right. Well, I'm really, really glad we watched it. I'm so looking forward to the second one. Um, let's see if I can clear my schedule. <laughs> let's just <laughs> knock that out right now. Well, we'll be right back for the ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, The Raid 2, Berendahl. Nama saya Rama. Saya tahu siapa kamu. Abang saya bilang, saya bisa percaya bapak. Abang lu nggak salah. Lu suka atau tidak suka dengan peristiwa hari ini, Reza dan anak buahnya akan ngincer lu. Mereka akan ngincer lu sampai ketemu. Kalau kita nggak cepat bertindak, lu bakal hilang. Keluar lu juga. Sekarang ini kota dibagi rata. Antara tokoh kita bangun dan kota bumi keluar ke Jepang. Ujo, anaknya bangun. Sekarang ada di penjara. Ini saat yang tepat buat lu masuk dan dekatin dia. Gue mau lu gabung sama tim gue. Lu bakal dilatih ulang sampai lu punya kemampuan yang lebih baik untuk membela kepentingan yang benar. Artinya, lu harus gua tangkap. Have you ever heard of Letterboxd? Tell me about it. I was at a film festival this weekend. I'm not sure that I told you that. I was at the Oregon Screams Film Festival, and this is the first time I've been in a community of people big enough and film lovers dedicated enough that they actually would come up to me after our conversation and ask me, are you on Letterboxd? What's your profile? Andy, they approached me in public and asked to join up and friend me on Letterboxd. That is a first. We've been using Letterboxd for years now. 
And I got the public nod. I am friends with new people for real flesh and blood people. Not that, that stunned me. I'm so excited about about this that I, I'm really, really upping my game by actually reviewing more movies uh, on Letterboxd. You can find us at letterboxd.com slash the next reel. But if you fall in love with it like we have and you want to up your game on Letterboxd, get rid of the ads, support the team. You can get 20% off uh, by visiting the nextreel.com slash letterboxd. We are proud to be uh, sponsored by the Letterbox team. That 20% off also counts for renewals as well as new signups. So support the team. Join us. Friend us. I'm Pete Wright, Andy's Soda Creek Film, and um, we are the next reel. Okay, Andy, what'd you, what'd you think? Six stars? That was very like, we are, <laughs> we are Marshall. We are Marshall. We are the next reel. <laughs> <laughs> what'd you think? How many stars? I, you know, I was honestly surprised when I looked at my Letterboxd when I rewatched it. I'm like, wow, I only gave this three and a half stars that Whoa. first time that I watched it. And, you know, I think a lot of it is in my head. I'm always like, there are a lot of good films that I love that are three, three and a half star. Yeah. And it's okay. Um, but I, I, I feel like there is, um, while the story itself may be one of those, um, you know, kind of straight up action movies where nothing is a real surprise. I, I find that the way that Gareth Evans crafted it is just exceptional. So I, I'm i going to say four and a half. It could be five, but it's way up there. I'm going to say four and a half. As an action movie, like if, 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 you know, again, if we're taking the movie as what it is, like as an action movie, it is among the best of the straight up hardcore fisticuff action movies that I've seen. I For me, there is no doubt it is a five star movie. Um and delivers exactly what it is. Now, will I see The Raid 2 and think to myself, oh, no, The Raid 2 <laughs> is actually five stars, and it's better. Maybe The Raid 1 actually has to be four stars. That could happen. I'm flexy. I'm, everything's fluid on Letterboxd. You know me. But I am hardcore about no half stars. You know that. That's not fluid. So five stars. Give it a heart. And uh, let's move on. All right. Well, that will give the film a four and three quarters stars with a big old heart from us. So that'll round up to five. That's where it's going to be on our Letterboxd. Remember, visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd to get your pro or patron membership. It works for renewals as well. We are the next reel. Speaking of the next reel, remember, we've talked about membership. If you want to learn about membership, you get all of your episodes a week early. You get bonus content at the start and end of every episode. You get member bonus episodes. Our October member bonus episode was uh, Gremlins 2. And we do flick chart re-ranking episodes. We do retake episodes after each series where we talk about the series as a whole. There's just a ton of stuff that members get. You don't have all those ads either. So if you want to learn more, about membership go to the nextreel.com slash membership and uh yeah consider supporting us it's uh, a great way to kind of show your love to, and to get all sorts of awesome extra stuff so what did you think about the raid redemption we want to know hop into the show talk channel on discord where we'll be talking about this movie this week when the movie ends our conversation begins Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. How low'd you go? How low can I go?
Well, I think you can go Canada. to a half star. I think that's oh, as okay, low you can, as you can go. I was just, I was oh, just you doing were just limbo. Limbo. I was just doing the limbo. You were just, okay. 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 Are we okay. getting limbo? Who's, who's going to go lower uh, I, first? I went I, to I, a half I'm, star. Okay, so I'm one and a half, so I guess I'll go first. I got a one and a half oh, by okay. Deja Vu in film who just says this. The measures people will go to to not pay rent. <laughs> That's actually really good. You should have gone second. That's the that's a good punchline. <laughs> Mine's all serious. Okay. <laughs> this is I'm I'm changing. I had one that used the word fetishization in it, and I thought I'm you know I'm a moth to the flame when it comes to the word fetishization. But I'm going to go ahead and 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 change it up on the fly here and do a half star by Lomedai, who says once in a while. There's a movie that makes you reflect on your disconnect with the audience at large. 300 was a good example. Titanic and Avatar are others. All total train wrecks of movies that seem to get a rabid following for no reason I can see, even if I try to be objective. The Raid is another one of this ilk. The buzz surrounding this flick was immense, and on paper it seemed to kick, tick all the boxes. When I sat down to watch it, though, I got a lumbering, unexciting, unoriginal, badly acted movie that's not even able to get so bad it's funny, kudos. No redeeming qualities at all in this total waste of time. Ouch. Dang. That was like, that was, that was really, serious. um, serious and thoughtful, uh, <laughs> hate for this movie. <laughs> yeah, once in a while there are reviews that really reflect your total disconnect with people who review movies poorly. I bet he enjoyed Ebert's review. As poor movies, not poorly. They probably feel quite good about that review. That was a very um Lord, a very Gandalfian thing to say. Are you saying it's a good day because it's good? <laughs> or are you saying you want me to have a good day? Or that it is a day and you feel good upon it? <laughs> can it's you like, hear? Okay. The, Before I say the closing words, is can this you do. a bad review because it's a bad movie or the reviewer is bad? <laughs> is it a in a bad badly. <laughs> or you're not happy with your review that you gave it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Letterboxd. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.